Your soul is the battlefield of a cosmic war between two lords. One lord you were born under, one lord you have been reborn under. And Romans chapter 7 is largely about not only why and how, but what that feels like. What it's like to be at the middle of a war between light and darkness. The war is not out there in the world, although it's there too. But it's right there in the middle of your soul. Sin resides in you. And there is nothing, let me repeat, there is nothing you can do about that. The rest of your life, sin is going to reside in you. And sin has shown itself to be exceedingly sinful in that even the good law of God, which perfectly promises what a good life would be and gives with it the declaration of eternal joy, even that is grabbed by sin and used to kill you. Sin resides in you, and there is nothing you can do about it, but now you reside in Jesus. And that does change everything. It means that so far as God is concerned, the sin no longer matters. Remember last week in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, you must consider yourself dead to sin. That's actually where we're going to start right now. So, if you would like to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, verse 11, it's on the same section or same two pages as Romans 7, where we'll be going in a moment. In your pew Bible, that's page 942 and 943. I want to review two verses from last week in Romans chapter 6, without which Romans 7 isn't going to make a lot of sense. They're the foundation point. They're what we're standing on as we begin to understand how we experience sin as those who are dead to it now. So again, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. That's on page 943. I lied. Nothing's on 942. It's all on 943. 943, um, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the platform. That's the foundation. No matter what else happens, you find yourself on the other side of not just a great mistake, but a great wrong, something you think, wow, how could I have even done that? You must consider it dead. Because you're in Jesus now. That's how God sees it. Faith alone does this. You're not going to achieve this in some way. It's just a promise. You must consider yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so sin, as you experience it, lies dead at your feet. Does that mean you're never going to do the evil? No, quite the opposite. You're going to find your heart is at war against you. But the confidence you have in the war, the power to continue fighting back against your flesh, is the knowledge that the flesh is not sufficient to override what Jesus has done. That in his death and resurrection, as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, he has bought you, sinner that you are, on the auction block of the slavery to death. 
He has bought you and pulled you back into his kingdom. And now he's going to press you down. He's going to sharpen your iron. He's going to discipline you like a son so that you believe against hope, against what you see, against what's possible. You believe that you are righteous now. Period. End of story. Finished. You must count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 14 of chapter 6. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 7 is going to be a treatise on this. You are not under the law, but under grace. It doesn't mean there is no law. What is the law? The law is the will of God. The law is the way nature was made to work. Nobody on this planet was meant to kill anybody else when we were made. Nobody on this planet was meant to be unfaithful to anybody else when we were made. Nobody on this planet was meant to take things from other people. Nobody on this planet was meant to lie, deceive, cheat, and all these things. In fact, you shall not covet. Nobody on this planet was meant to be discontent in any way. That's how we were designed. Again, sin shows itself to be exceedingly sinful that we hear all of that and we think that can't be possible. Yes, indeed, that's how far we have fallen. Hmm? But that same sin, which makes us see how far we are from being perfect, will have no dominion over you in faith because you know it's dead. That doesn't mean you won't feel it. It means it doesn't get to reign in your conscience. Your conscience gets to be free. You're not under the law. The law is not your judge anymore. Jesus is your judge, and he has justified you by his resurrection. So you are now under grace. Is the law still here? Yes, it's just not your master anymore. Is the law still good? Yes, it still shows you what a good life is. Why would you ever want anything else? Well, again, that's the experience you're going to have, is that your mind's going to say, I want a good life according to the law, and then your flesh, your heart's going to say, oh yeah, but. And that is the cosmic battle taking place in your soul. But again, Romans chapter 7 is going to unpackage for us here. Uh, we won't be looking at every verse, but we're going to get a lot of them here this morning. Let's jump to Romans chapter 7, verse 4, where Paul says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. Remember, you're dead to sin. Now you're also dead to the law through the body of Christ. So where, where is that, by the way? The body of Christ. Is that some spiritual juju in your heart? No. The body of Christ is given for you to eat and drink as bread and wine every single week. So remember that your place for fighting this battle isn't off on a mountaintop staring at a sunset. But it's in the pure words and sacraments of Jesus. Yes? You have died to the law in the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is the body of Jesus Christ coming to you through time and space. The same body which died and was put in the tomb now enters into your mouth as his temple so that you may belong to him, right? Rest of verse 4, so that you may belong to another. That's the Father who has been, excuse me, no, that's Christ, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit from God for God. So notice that the bearing of fruit is not according to the law. Does that mean that love your neighbor as yourself and love God above all your heart is not the fruit? No. It just means that me telling you to do it is never going to get it done. Here, let me try it. Be grateful. Be grateful. 
Like, does it work? No, it actually kind of makes you upset. You're like, well, why? Why should I be? Right? It, just, it provokes you. But the knowledge that you have of what Christ has done for you pulls, not just pulls, puts that gratitude into you. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The bearing of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is never increased by harping on the law. Does the law talk about what these things are and why they're good? Yes, but that is not how the fruit is born. The fruit is born in you by the promise of his resurrection awakening you to know that your sin is dead and you're alive in Christ. That, that, it, it sounds upside down, and it is. It's that grace may reign. Yes? It's that God's promises, God is the giver, may be king, rather than God is the demander. Verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. That is, the more that you try to justify yourself based upon looking at yourself and how good you've become, the worse your conscience is going to be. The more you try to find value in yourself by what you do, whether it's by a law you make up or by the pure law of God, all it's going to do is crush you under the internal honest weight of knowing that you're not enough. And that's a Christian reality. He talks about how for the pagan who doesn't have the law of God, they have a way of like confusing and hiding from this. But the Christian knows. The Christian feels it. When you try to judge yourself by the law, you condemn yourself, bearing fruit for death. But now, verse 6, this is what you get to believe over and against that fleshly reality you find within you. We are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Again, someone out there in internet land is going to say that Pastor Fisk just said Christians don't have to keep the law. Paul just said it. That the way of doing good as a Christian doesn't come by beating yourself up about being better. But rather, the Holy Spirit enters in you to fight for you, against you, to make you who he wants you to be. This is the power of the gospel. Remember Romans 1.18. What is the gospel? It is that the son of David is risen from the dead. He is risen. He is risen. Alleluia. The gospel is that the son of David is risen from the dead and this has justified you. Now, does that mean the law is never to be preached? That we, It doesn't bring us wisdom? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But the way of the spirit is different than the way of the written code. If you want a little more reading on that, by the way, this week, you're taking notes. Feel free to go read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. That's the place where Paul will spend the most time directly talking about the written letter versus the spirit. And he's talking about how those who judge according to the written letter and not according to the resurrection have a veil over their face. They can't even read the Bible right. They just go and think it's about them all the time. But the Bible's not about you. It's about Christ for you. 
You've been set free from captivity to you, and the Spirit points you now to Jesus. Remember again, this is a war. Your flesh doesn't believe that, but you believe that. Now, isn't that interesting? How do you live as someone who believes one thing and yet finds yourself believing another thing at the same time? You're in a war. A war that God is fighting for you. And that's what Romans 7 is going to again detail very, very narrowly as we move forward. We're going to skip ahead a little to verse 10. Verse 10 says, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. This is really what you should say to anyone who says, but don't, have, don't we have to do this too? Yes, salvation is by faith, but don't we really need to believe? Don't we have to really believe? Don't we have to show it by our works? The very commandment that promised life proves to be death. Anything that's about what you must do will kill you. And it's not just a, a symbolic or a figurative reality, although it's that too. I've been saying it's about the conscious. But like, when you die, it's going to be because of all the things you've done. Period. Yeah. So the, the very attempt to be one who lives forever is what's killing you. Yeah. For sin, verse 11, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. I mean, this is some high theology right here. This is some, some big time philosophy. The idea that the commandments of God are used by this original sin, inherited evil that you have, to trick you, to trick you into your own death. And again, this is a death of all levels, from your body to your soul. Which is why someone who wants to prove their goodness by the law will always become, does anybody know the word? It starts with an L. They will always become a legalist. That is, rather than acknowledge that they're not living up to the rules that they're making, they'll walk around pointing their finger at everybody else. They begin judge well, you begin judging yourself based on everybody else. It's a game of comparisons. And again, you either end up in a place of complete pride, or you actually think, yep, I'm better than everybody else, all those schmucks. Or you end up in a place of complete despair where you just can never quite measure up to the level that you've set. Yeah. Sin seizes the opportunity to deceive you through the actual command to be good. It's not a command to be evil. And again, this is going to show how bad sin is. He talks about that here in a moment, so we'll get there. But he emphasizes in verse 12 that the law is holy. Just because you're not under the law, just because the law is used by sin to kill you, that doesn't make the law bad. The law's good. You're bad. That's the problem. You're bad, but you're dead in Christ. So it's okay, right? But, but you're still carrying around that old man, that badness. But the law itself, the way God's will intended the world to work, is set apart. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. He's just, he's just driving it home. There is nothing wrong with you shall not murder. And there is nothing wrong with love your neighbor as yourself. That is good. The fact that it kills you is there to show you that you're not so good. Yes? All right, verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It's not the law that's the source of death. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandments might become sinful beyond measure. 
So again, by seeing this, that the commandment to love my neighbor exposes in me that I don't, or turns me into one who tries so hard that I actually use it to pat myself on the back and judge everybody else, what this does is exposes how bad I really am. How, not just me, how bad sin really is. God gives us the best instruction manual for a peace on earth forever, and what do we do? We hate each other with it. That's sin, like the definition. It shows you what it is. It is then sinful beyond measure. Which then is to say, so, St. Paul Lutheran Church, we're dedicated to being a, a pro-life, pro-family, pro-Bible church. We want to grow that. Yes, well, again, uh, God's killing that part. He's making you wise so you can see how bad you are, so you can see how good he is anyway. Yes? Verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, right? So you go out, you shall not covet, you covet, you say, oh, I shouldn't have coveted. You have agreed. It's good not to covet. Huh? That's a Christian thought, by the way. That's the spirit at work in you to make you see that this law is good. And then you can, as a Christian, verse 17, like highlight this one.